Amen. Well, hey, good morning. And as John already said, Happy New Year. Uh, just a sweet week this week for uh, those of you that were able to be a part of what we call Watch Week here at Grace Monroe, where we set aside the first week of the year for prayer, worship, and fasting. And so if, uh, if the stomach next to you starts uh, growling, then have some grace. It's a church family. We're entering into a 21-day fast invitation for you uh, to, to jump into that, something called the Daniel Fast. Hopefully, either on your way in or as a part of the prayer experience this week, you were able to get one of these um, uh, prayer journals. And if you haven't yet, then we encourage you to, to grab one on your way out because there's some things in there, and we'll get to that a little bit later uh, this morning, but some things in there to really carry you into this new year. And because we don't, we really believe that the best way we can start our year is by resetting our hearts and minds around Jesus. Amen? I mean, there's a lot that we carry into this year. There's, there's hopes and dreams. There's also struggles and difficulties, anxiety, or burdens that you carry. In fact, this week, as I've uh, come up here a few different times and just prayed at different stations uh, around the room, and so for those of you that, that aren't familiar with the way Watch Week works, is uh, every, we just asked everyone to sign up for at least an hour to just come pray. That nonstop prayer would flow out of this space for, for uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week to start the year. And what was amazing, actually, is that uh, not only did every one of those hours get assigned by a, to at least one person who was praying, but many of those hours had multiple people up here praying. It was actually the most people we've ever had as part of our prayer experiences uh, during Watch Week, which is just really beautiful to me. But coming up here and just seeing, uh, going over to the intercession table in the back corner of the room, where people just wrote down, like, what are you praying for? What is burdening you? And just realizing, and some of these, as you wrote down, you're praying for spouses, for children, for illness, uh, sickness in your family, for grief and for comfort for jobs and for struggles in jobs. I mean, it was just amazing to read these little sticky notes, just but realizing, like, for every one of us is carrying something into this room where we need God to show up and meet us. Amen? And this beautiful thing of faith, isn't it just that we come to a service and we sing some songs and we learn a couple of spiritual nuggets, but it's, it's a space to encounter God. I mean, do you believe that? That God's deepest desire is to encounter you even right now. And really, Watch Week isn't this, like, magic prayer. Oh, it's the first week of the year, so God really answers prayers then. It's, it's for us to just stop at a natural break in the year and pause long enough to give God space and room to work. To be honest with God, say, God, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I need you to show up this year. And I am laying that before you. And we light those candles of intercession because the Bible gives beautiful pictures of God, the light of the world, who's, who sees everything, is bringing light into darkness. But then also Revelation gives this picture. Uh, the prayers of the saints are like smoke of incense going up before God in the throne room of heaven. And God captures that smoke, the prayers of the saints, and he throws it back down on earth where earthquakes happen. In other words, the prayers of the saints move to the shaking here on earth. And so when we pray, it is not just like words bouncing off the ceiling. There's a God in heaven who sees you, who knows you, and who hears you. And we don't always understand his timing, do we? And we don't actually even understand all the ways that he's answering our prayers, the ways he's shaking earth on our behalf. 
In fact, uh, the Daniel fast that we entered into um, in, in Daniel 10, when it talks about where we get that idea of a 21-day fast, partial fast from, uh, from no meats and just basically vegetable and water for 21 days, is, comes out of the way Daniel prayed. But what's interesting is that 21 days of, of fasting that Daniel uh, fasted and then had this dramatic encounter with the angelic messenger with God. What the angel told him when he finally got to uh, Daniel at the end of that 21 days of fasting was he said, your prayers were heard from the moment you started praying them, whether that was 21 days ago or two years ago. And I have been battling to get to you. So for 21 days, there was spiritual warfare going on around Daniel's prayers before the angel actually shows up and gives him the vision that he's been waiting for. And so in the same way, as you pray, yes, there are prayers that we have watched God instantaneously and miraculously answer. I remember a few years ago, back at the mill, there was a, a gentleman, one of the most amazing miracles I've ever witnessed, and some of you were a part of this, uh, had come the week before on Sunday, and he was blind. And, uh, and after church, some people just felt led to pray for him. And, uh, and his blindness was like a, um, it was like a, Gradual increasing blindness like, You know something that he was continuing like That was happening to him as a form of, of Illness his eyesight was, uh, was Was not just Declining but was ceasing And they prayed over him And he went on his way and they went on their way <laughs> The next Sunday uh, I'm preaching and I get to the end of the message and This guy stands up in the back of the room And he goes hey I got something I need to say Which as a preacher is like one of your worst Nightmares because you have no idea where this is going to go. And this guy stood up, and I didn't recognize him. I didn't remember. I mean, it's terrible to admit. But I didn't. he stood up and clear-eyed stared at me, and he goes, Last week I walked into this church blind, and you people prayed for me, and now I can see. A little response. I mean, a dude got healed from blindness. Like, God wants to show up in miraculous ways. And so, yes, sometimes it is instantaneous and miraculous. And other times our prayers, and we pray, like the, the, the widow that's beseeching the judge that Jesus gives that parable, and keep knocking at the door over and over again. And we look back, and we see two, five, ten years, and we go, oh, oh, that's how God was answering that prayer. I thought what he needed to do was this, A, B, and C, but what he, he knew he needed to do was so much bigger. And in fact, if I had gotten it the way that I wanted it, we would have missed out on all of this. And so faith is holding out in hope, and we continue to lay our prayers before God. And so just recognizing, I mean, moving to tears, just praying over the, the, the things that are interceding and realizing we all carry something in this room that we want, need God to move in. And so many times, hide it behind smiling faces. You know, oh, man, yeah, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. Good, yeah. Busy. Busy. That's one of our favorite answers, right? But we were just like burdened, broken, hurting. But we were just honest for a moment. In what should be the safest space on earth, which is the body of Christ. Amen? And then moving over here and just kneeling, even this morning, just kneeling here at the cross and these prayers of confession, of just being honest. I mean, our, our hope and prayer for Watch Week was twofold. One was inner searching. Lord, search me and know me, that Psalm 138 prayer. Is there any wayward thought in me? Is there anything that's offline with your heart? 
Is there anything I need to be honest with you about, God? Any sin that's creeped in? Any addiction that's holding me in bondage? Any place that I need to be free? God, is there any guilt or shame that I'm carrying from decisions that I've made? Choices that I stepped into? Or places maybe that I didn't step in that you're asking me to? And now I look at my own uh, uh, passivity and apathy, and God, I need to repent of that. And so watch me because this beautiful time of people just being honest with God. And so just looking over some of these prayers of people confessing to God places of bondage and struggle, places of pride and greed, places that they hadn't loved well, their spouses or their children or coworkers, bitterness and unforgiveness people were holding on to. And the power of the cross that, yes, is available every day, not just during Watch Week, but we took a little bit of time, a little extra time uh, this past week to just kneel before the cross and say, Jesus, let this die on the cross with you so that in my soul I can be reborn new and fresh a new life in Christ where there is no condemnation as Romans 8 1 says for those who are in Christ Jesus or as 2 Corinthians 5 says that the old is gone the new has come and so we no longer see the world the way we used to and so many of you I know knelt at that cross and were honest with God in that moment and laid it there and let it die with Jesus so that you could be born anew in him and so let me just declare this over you. Those of you that confessed, James tells us that when we confess, when we're honest with God, that's all that means, it's nothing fancy. When we're honest with God, that he's faithful and just and forgives us, cleanses us of all unrighteousness. So hear this. Those of you that were honest enough to lay that sin before Jesus, whether in your own heart or literally with, on a sticky note at the foot of the cross there, you are forgiven by the power of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. Can you receive that this morning? There is no shame on your back. You are not guilty before God. When he sees you, he sees you pure, washed, cleansed. And in fact, here's the beautiful thing. Some of you are thinking, yeah, but I prayed for forgiveness when I was 13, and now I'm 30 or 50, and I still fail and struggle. I think things I shouldn't. I look at things I shouldn't. I talk ways that I shouldn't. I don't do the things that I should. But you know what? Here's the amazing thing. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, you weren't even born yet. Right? So when Jesus died with your entire life in front of him, he knew. He's not surprised. It's not like he, at 13, he was like, okay, I'll forgive you this time. And then at 30, he's like, whoo, didn't see that one coming. Might have changed my mind on the cross if I had known you were going to go there. No. He saw all of you. This is the beauty of the cross. And some of you don't know that forgiveness. Some of you are still carrying baggage. I remember praying with an elderly gentleman towards the end of his life and uh this is another i hadn't thought about this this just came to mind i hadn't thought about this during years so hopefully this is for somebody it, it, we were praying and uh in my office and 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 when he walked in he was all hunched over and just this uh i mean just like kind of a, a the phrase in my head is like a, kind of a broken man and and he, and he was like and he was just struggling with just insecurity and faith and all of that and so we started praying I was like is there anything can we just ask God is there anything that you're carrying that you're not meant to carry anything that he needs wants to release you from 
So he just closed his eyes. And we're like, God, we just bring anything to mind. And what came to mind, it was a memory. This dude was probably in his, at least in his 60s, if not in his 70s. And he, uh, and, and, but I mean, his health was failing and, and just in a hard place. And, and he was brought back to his first job in his 20s. And he had this boss that, had, that he had gone in on, on some project and he was new and unsure and just totally humiliated him in front of his, uh, in front of his, the rest of his coworkers. And it just in, in the absolute shame. And it had carried with him, and this was crazy, it had carried with him for 40 plus years resentment and hurt from this encounter of a boss absolutely shaming him in front of his coworkers. And with that shame came this lie that I am worthless. I am worthless. And he just acknowledged before God, he just confessed it. God, I've been believing this my entire life. And I've never forgiven this guy. And I've carried this from job to job to job. I've carried this into my marriage. This, wor- this f- sense of worthlessness that's leading to bitterness and resentment. It's the way I treat people. And he just confessed it and just sobbed. But here's what was amazing. is that I'm, I'm sitting in, in my chair. He's sitting on the couch in front of me. And I'm watching him pray. And as he's praying, like literally, like he's, he's just praying to God, just confessing this. I'm watching his shoulders begin to it's almost like this like spiritual weight that become a, had become a physical weight that when he walked out of my office one of the, again one of the most miraculous things I've ever watched in my life when he walked out of my office he walked out straight like not bent over and broken now I, I wonder and I'm not a doctor so I'm not going to diagnose anybody here but I just wonder how much of the stuff we carry in our bodies is actually spiritual weight that we just need God to heal us of Oh, that's not a blanket statement, so don't, like, send me an email. <laughs> but I just wonder how many in this room still need to just receive the grace and love of Jesus Christ. In your own souls, that he sees you. And he knows you, and God loved you so much that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Here's the beauty of everlasting life. Eternal life isn't something that happens one day when you die, as if God's waiting to start eternal life based on your timeline. It's like, okay, when, when Tim dies, then we can start eternal life. No. Eternal life means it has no beginning and it has no end. God has been living in eternal life. When John 10, when Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly, you know what he was talking about? Eternal life, an eternal way of living, being reconnected and reunited to the God of this universe. That even here on earth, what was Jesus' prayer in Luke? Lord, let your will be done here on earth. What? As it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. In other words, eternal life isn't something that you get to just experience one day, so just hold on, do your best, hold on until you die. No, eternal life is a way of living with God, forgiven by God, cleansed by God, restored and renewed by God. Here on earth as it is in heaven. And yes, we still live in a broken world, which is why we are moved from inner searching and confession to intercession. But then the beautiful thing is we made a way across the room as people were praying for the neighbors, their neighbors and their neighborhoods, and to the nations 
And just reading through the prayers of, of God, will you move among all people everywhere to the next generation? And we wrote, we just put some paper on the wall up there and just wrote some school names. And what I have loved seeing is, is, uh, is just that, that those papers fill up with names, praying for kids by name at all of those schools. You know, we had a, a dream. Our fi- one of our five-year dreams as a church is that we would have uh, a deep impact in at least 10 schools. In other words, that in, by 2025, there'd be 10 schools in this community that we could say that there is a gospel presence there on that campus. Parents and, and, and staff serving and encouraging, praying for kids, uh, praying and serving those teachers. That there would be this intentional outreach and kids being led to the Lord and being discipled. Well, here's what it was amazing. That's our, that was our big five-year dream. Five years from now, 10 schools. There's 15 different schools up there already with names that you are praying for, with kids that are coming to know Jesus that are being discipled, with teams, softball teams and volleyball teams and soccer teams that, that have small Bible studies happening in those. Is that not amazing? And some of your kids are being prayed for by name. And that's a beautiful thing. I see my, my son's name written up there. Somebody's written a verse next to his name. I didn't write that. Like, thank you. Somebody was led, that they prayed for my son, and a verse came to mind in Isaiah for him. I mean, that's beautiful. That's what the church does for each other. And so we're moved to prayer, but then I love as you make your way across the room from confession to intercession. Oh, I forgot the creativity table because I tend to skip that one. (laughs) Although I have loved, I've heard so many of your stories that you've started, you've been like, yeah, I was intimidated by that, but I went over there anyway, and it actually was pretty cool. So just that idea of expressing our worship to God through art. And so uh, you'll see, that was one of our kids' favorites, but uh, I mean, kids collectively. Um, so before you leave, go and just see the ways that God, uh, that kids and adults, all of us, were expressing worship through art. But as we move from prayer and intercession over here to the restoration tree, and if you remember that, some of you weren't here, but a year ago, a year and a half ago, whenever it was, um, this has just been just over a year now that we uh, had our grand opening in this building and the restoration on the tree and every one of those dots on the tree the gray dots are, are representative of untold stories and all the green dots and the invitation of the restoration tree was when God restores something in your life restores your marriage restores relationship with the child restores you into relationship with himself and you've received Christ as Savior and Lord you been baptized, restored a hope or a dream that God laid in your heart. I, I want to serve you in this way. I want to engage in this way. All the different things God is restoring. God restoring uh, families and God restoring uh, our roles and identity. And, uh, and so was to take one of those gray dots and write on the gray that just, you know, a couple words that represent that restoration story and then flip it over and uh, that we would watch over the years the gray turn to green. Our, our, our five-year vision there was 10,000 restoration stories. And it's just been beautiful to watch that. Well, what's amazing is that basket that's on the table in front of that is filled with green dots. Restoration stories that you've told even from this year of ways God's have been restoring in your life, your soul, those of you who have come to faith, restoring in healing and comfort in times of grief and loss and ways of dreaming and stepping into new ministry ventures or, or, or new partnerships. 
We celebrate even those of you that are launching restaurants and businesses that are teachers in schools. That is just as valuable. I want you to hear this. That is just as valuable ministry as something that's officially called a Bible study because you're impacting lives. You're creating a culture where people could encounter you through their work, their vocation, their job. You're giving value to people, those of you that are business owners and artists and creatives and makers. As we see those, that restoration story and that tree moving from gray to green. I mean, this is our hope as a church. Our big dream is that we would be a people that don't just show up to attend things, but show up together with the expectation that God is going to speak and move and we're going to respond and then tell the story. And we see a glimpse of that. The stories I was praying into this week, and how do we close Watch Week? Even though I know for you, like the Daniel fast is continuing on, and even in this prayer journal, it's, there's 21 days of scripture. As John said, next week we'll be starting into that rooted series, uh, the rooted journey together, that five-week small group study that I know every one of you, 100% participation, is going to be a part of. But I was praying about how do we close this, this time of prayer, or this, this week of intentional prayer, this week that started in fasting and worship. And, and God, as I was praying, sort of led me to, I mean, it really just asked, and this was the passage that, that he brought to mind. It was actually in Acts 13. So if you have a Bible, you're going to want to turn there. And we're just going to spend a few minutes on this. Because I just want to give you, I just want to root you in Scripture of... Um, that what we are talking about and dreaming about isn't unique <laughs> to us. God's been moving his people, is, is continuing to move his people all over the world, even today, but going back to the earliest days of the church. All we're doing is trying to tap into something that God has desired for 2,000 years. We're not trying to invent anything new. This is an invitation for you, for me, us together. Acts 12, and I won't go through Acts 12, but just to give you the context before we get into Acts 13, is uh, it begins actually with the, the, the violent um, martyrdom uh, execution of James, the brother of John. That Herod, uh, wanting to, to please the people, put him to death by the sword. Already, this, the church uh, that started in Jerusalem, Jesus having uh, crucified and then risen from the dead, and then 40 years later, I mean, 40 days, sorry, uh, 50 days later, um, ascending into heaven. And what he promised was, I'm going to go, and it's actually better for you that I go. Instead of my physical presence with you, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to be in all of you. Everyone, men and women, young and old, will receive the Holy Spirit of God through Christ. Jesus, not just with us, Jesus in us, the Holy Spirit of God. And so the Holy Spirit comes out, and this movement happens in Jerusalem, where thousands are coming to faith in Christ, confessing their sin, receiving forgiveness, and stepping into new life, a new eternal way of living with Jesus. 
and this church is, is growing there in this town, but then an intense persecution breaks out, led by a guy named Saul, and, and Saul is overseeing the execution of those who follow Jesus and beginning to go house to house to arrest and even to execute those who call on the name of Jesus as God. This persecution has caused them to scatter out of Jerusalem, but what the enemy meant for evil, God turned into good. As they're scattered, what does it do? It actually spreads the gospel. But if you can imagine being a refugee people, having to flee from your homeland, from your homes, literally, to find refuge in a, in a different country, in a different place, a different village, because of the, the violence that is, is, is waiting for you at home trying to find safety somewhere, the, the amount of insecurity, the, the amount of uncertainty. And they're holding on to faith in Christ, but in, in ways alone now. There's no longer thousands gathering together. They're in little pockets, meeting in homes, but in cities all over the place. And what I love, though, is in verse 24, even in the context of all of this instability, at the time, all kinds of, uh, don't have time to get into it here, but all kinds of political upheaval that was happening in their day. I mean, there's so many ways that we can read our own story into this story. I want you to pay attention in chapter 12 to verse 24. But, and if it's your, if it's your Bible, or if we gave you, if you took a Bible, claim it as your own, it's yours. Circle the word but. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Man, I want you to hold on to that. In 2023, I know it has been a crazy and chaotic last few years. I know there's still so much going on. And like I said, in the intercession table, so much going on that you're carrying. And the pressure that you're living in, just simply because of, that we all are living in, because of the world around us. And so many times it can seem like the enemy is winning. Like the light is diminishing and the darkness is just increasing. But what do we see? What is the testimony of God throughout all of history? But the word of God increased and multiplied. And actually what we see throughout history whether it was in Egypt in the time of Exodus or across Palestine in the time of Acts or in China or in Russia in the 20th century is that it's often times of intense pressure and persecution and cultural upheaval that the gospel spreads the most vibrantly. And so what if as we pray against uh, like praying for God, will you just fix all of this so we can finally go back to normal? But what if the upheaval is exactly what God wants? So that Jesus' people, rooted in their faith, living with a different kind of hope, loving people sacrificially, especially people that don't look like them or agree with them, in a way that the world can't comprehend, the gospel can actually spread. What if? That's the message we're going to hold on to. I, I'd love to I won't go there We're going to hold on to that We're going to be Jesus people In this world And not battle against upheaval 
but stand firm in upheaval so that God can be glorified. That's who grace is going to be. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. Oh, I forgot to mention, that guy that was a murderer and persecuting the church, Saul, ended up actually coming to Jesus. You know, sometimes our worst enemies that seem like our biggest threats, God actually has a plan for. What if we began to pray for people that were the biggest, like, threat or enemy in our life, not from the perspective of, God, will you get rid of this person, but, God, will you do something miraculous in this person? Bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. I love that, this next-generation leadership already. They're always bringing up these younger leaders to launch them into their ministries. Now, there were, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menea, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Anyone see any parallels to the last week we just entered into? There's a lot there, but I'm going to just give you a couple of things. And then One is in Antioch, is, a, is the beginning of this movement among the Gentiles, and we see God forming together a diverse community. I think uh, the gospel, the, uh, Luke, who wrote Acts, is very intentional about the names that he includes there. But it's a diverse community. There's different gifts represented. It says prophets and teachers. Teachers were the ones that were responsible for keeping them grounded in their faith. That would have, would have told them and explained the stories of the Old Testament and the stories of Jesus' life. Prophets were the ones whose ear were t was tuned in to the Holy Spirit. God, what are you speaking now? How are you leading us now? How are you moving us now? Both necessary. The teachers keeping them rooted in their faith. The prophets moving them forward. That there are different gifts. Paul will later write, there are gifts in this body. Part of the rooted experience that we'll go through, we'll talk about this. Uh, the different gifts that God gives each and every one of you. You all have a different role to play. I love this idea of, uh, of the prophets and the teachers is what was launching the mission of the church. Because as a, as a grace family of churches... The identity we feel like God has given us, uh, our, our kingdom role, is we call ourselves rooted renegades. Rooted in the Bible, rooted in community, rooted in faith, but renegade. Wanting to go to the places that no one else is going, pushing the edges, willing to be a different kind of people that break from the conformity of religion. Rooted renegades, these prophets and teachers, uh, there's a, a multiplication of gifts in this body. There's also, there was different ethnicities and nationalities represented, literally representing the four corners of the globe. You have Barnabas from Cyprus, which is the West Mediterranean. Simon, who is called Niger, who's historically understood to be from Africa. Lucius from Cyrene, which is North Africa or Libya. Saul, this devout Jewish kid from Tarsus, which is modern-day Turkey. North, south, east, and west. Different skin tones different uh, family backgrounds, all together as the body of Christ, worshiping together. There's different socioeconomic statuses represented, intentionally including this guy, Manein, I don't know how you say his name, who, was a who grew up as a childhood friend of Herod Antipas. If you want to know, there's a bunch of different Herods in the Bible. 
Chapter 12 talks about Herod Agrippa, who, uh, who dies in chapter 12. Herod Antipas was actually the Herod that um, was responsible for the beheading of John the Baptist and was there at Jesus' uh, uh, trial. And this guy, Manim, I'm just calling him Man because I don't know how to say his. So Man grows up as a childhood friend. Literally, the word there is a unique Greek word. And what it means is it's a, it's a select group of boys that are pulled out for royal service. So he would have served together in this little boy, in this like kid, uh, boy academy to grow up into the royal household. And out of that little group of friends, one of them becomes Herod, who uh, beheads John the Baptist, and the other one becomes man who ends up being part of the original movement of God in the early church. It's amazing that God could use anyone, but what that indicates also is that he would have been a person of influence, that would have had connections, and here he is in this mix of worshipers. And what were they doing together? Exactly what we just spent the last week doing. Worshiping. And that word for worship there, actually you can just assume into that prayer. The word literally means ministering. In the classical Greek, originally, before the, the Bible co-opted it, it was used for doing public works at one's expense. Let me say that again. The word they chose for worship originally meant doing public works at one's own expense. That's where Paul will get Romans 12.1, where he'll say, to lay down your life as an act, as a spiritual act of worship. That we give our life, not just simply the songs that we sing, but the way that we lay down our life, the way that we serve and minister God, to God and others is our worship, the way that we ascribe worth to God. And fasting. And as we said, we talked about this last week. If you didn't get to hear it, I, I taught last week all on, on fasting. But the nature of fasting, biblically, is always about food, about denying one's appetites in order to increase our hunger for God. And I know for some of you that are fasting, maybe for the first time, it's not easy. No discipline is easy when you start. Right? But the whole point of discipline, of spiritual discipline or physical discipline, is that the more you engage, the more it changes you, so that the more you can become. Amen? And so here they are fasting, denying their earthly, their, their, their body appetites in order to increase their hunger for God, to tune their ears more into God. That's what's happening as you enter into this Daniel fast. Some of you are fasting in different ways, I know, but that as, we, as we fast, we're saying, God, will you shift my hunger from my, from my own needs and desires to hearing from you? Will you make me more sensitive to your spirit? And sure enough, as they're worshiping, praying, and fasting, God speaks, and God gives them a word. The Holy Spirit said, so what we see is that worship Paves the way for mission. As, as they are opening their heart up to God, as they are tuning their ear to God, what does God do? God moves in the body to send them out, and specifically sending out two on a, on a, on a very specific mission. To pause right there and ask that question. So the Holy Spirit said, you can circle that word said, because oftentimes a question comes up, how do they know? 
It's the same question that we should be asking ourselves. And many of you that were praying, and, and I know out in the lobby, as we were praying for the future of grace and dreams for our church family or dreams that God is stirring up in you, that uh, it's like, how do I know that's from God? Well, here's just quick guidelines. One, like the Spirit is always speaking, just to say this. Like we hear from God both through His Word, through the Bible, and by His Spirit, the living Spirit of God who still speaks. Guides, comforts, corrects, convicts. That's what the Spirit does in our life. It's that nudge that says, hey, buy that person a meal. Or go talk to that stranger. Or call your mom. Whatever it might be, that, that, it is that, that prompting or that conviction that, that, that you feel when you know when you're about to do something wrong. It's like, whoa, 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 don't walk down that road. Don't open that door. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit is still alive. If you come from a tradition where it's like, if it's not in the Bible, it's not from God, well, there's a whole lot of things you face on an everyday that aren't explicitly in the Bible. We need the Holy, the Holy Spirit to be speaking to us every day. But this is number one and the most important. The Holy Spirit will never, never, never contradict his scripture. So... I'm not with what I just said, not at all dismissing the Bible. The Bible is the foundation. We are to be people saturated. That's why we need to be people saturated in his word so that we can discern. God, does that line up with your scripture? Does that look like the way Jesus taught and walked and treated people? God, I feel like you're, you're prompting me to do this or you're asking me to do this or wanting me to make this big change or to, to make a difficult decision. Okay. But does that line up with the heart of God as revealed in Scripture? I can't tell you how many, is this so, how many conversations I've had with people that are trying to convince me that God is asking them to leave their spouse because the, the Spirit wants them to be happy. Which I would love to know, where, where, where in the Bible, A, is that in regards to unfaithfulness and marrying your girlfriend, or even having a girlfriend when you're married? It's probably a bad idea just to start with. And B, actually, where in the Bible it tells you that God's primary concern is for you to be happy? I'll leave that there. You can study that on your own. So one, it will always line up with Scripture, but two, ask the question, what fruit does it produce? We go back to Genesis, and we see that when the Spirit of God speaks, it brings life. It brings light. It moves people to sacrificial love. That is the most important thing. Every time the gifts of the Spirit are mentioned in the Bible, immediately it's followed up by the most important thing is that you sacrificially love. It moves us towards love and compassion, empathy. It, it produces peace in our souls. It gives us hope. There are many of you that prayed this week, and God spoke a word, and it was a word that freed you. And maybe it was a convicting word. Maybe it was a hard word to hear. But you were able to stand up in it with God because you knew God was there with you. That's the fruit that the Spirit gives. We also see in Genesis 3 what happens when the enemy speaks. What does it produce in us? What fruit? Hiding, fear, shame, guilt, blame, accusation. That voice that tells you that you suck, you're never enough. That God hates you, whatever it might be. You can't trust anyone. Why try? Take care of yourself. That, that voice that causes you to live hunched over, like my 70-year-old friend. 
defeated. So what fruit does it produce? And then lastly, and this is what we see here in Acts 13, it's affirmed by the community. We can say this, God, I feel like, it's actually one of my favorite stories out of Watch Week. I was having breakfast, or, or actually just met a, a friend and, uh, um, that uh, was telling me that he had just left, sorry, a men's breakfast and uh, on Thursday, which, by the way, is just an open invite. Every Thursday morning at 7-ish, uh, they're meeting here in the student space for just a Bible study for men. So if you're not a part of something, that's an easy thing to jump into. But he had just left that, uh, that men's Bible study on Thursday morning. And, uh, and what had happened in, in that room is they're talking about in Watch Week, the things that God was leading people to. And they were saying things like, you know, as I was praying, I just feel like God is, is, moving, is wanting me to begin doing something in, in the neighborhoods. Or I, I just feel like God's laying this thing on my heart. And so together as a group of men, they can say, this is what I feel like I'm hearing from God. And as a community, they can go, amen, that sounds exactly like God. Yeah, I totally see that in you. And then even the more beautiful thing about community is that when God speaks by his spirit, the community comes around and says, help, let me empower that. Let me help you do that. Let me pray for you. And we see here in Acts 13, what does it happen? It sets aside Saul and Barnabas, not to say, okay, those are the only two that God's going to use, but this is the way we're going to use those two. This is what's important. Is sometimes we can get this lie in our head that God only uses a select few, and then the rest of us are just left to sit around and twiddle our thumbs. No, God is wanting to use every one of you. He's moving and prompting things in every one of you if we have ears to hear. What is God inviting you into this year? How's he moving you forward? And maybe the first step is to receive him into your life, into your heart as, as Lord and King. To just pray, to receive forgiveness. But then from that place, God immediately moves us from worship into mission. How is God moving you? So the community surrounds them, lays hands on them. This is a, a, a word or a picture for uh, blessing them, speaking God's best over them, and then sends them out. And so that's how I feel like I wanted to end Watch Week, is this question of how is God sending you out? After this time of worship and prayer, continue to fast. And so if you look at the very end of your uh, watch week journal some of you have this some of you if, hopefully everyone got one either uh, last Sunday or this past week or today is what you'll find and I'll just tell you what it is and if you have your journal at home you can go back and look at it and we did this last year but it's our three to one prayer for the year who are three people and even right now just begin to write these down who are three people that you were specifically praying for to come to know Jesus, that need Jesus to come into their life, to heal their heart, to begin a relationship with him. So three. You don't have to say their names out loud, but I just want to give you a little pause. Who are you praying for? People at work, in your family, a neighbor, a friend? We'd be a community of people that are constantly praying that you could name those. If, I was, if, if, it, if, if your community was asked, who are your three? Let's pray for them together. Okay, then who are two people? We call this our 2 a.m. friends. Who are two people in your life that if you call them at 2 a.m. and your world is falling apart, they would be there in a second and vice versa? 
Who are two people in your life that are regularly encouraging you in your journey with God? Now, I do want to say this. It's like if, name, if there are no names or if nothing's coming to mind, maybe that's the beginning of your prayer. God, will you give me three people to pray for? God, will you bring two people into my life that can walk alongside of me? Will you just start right here? And then one, who is the one person? We just see at the beginning of Acts 13, it says that Saul and Barnabas brought John Mark, this young disciple with them on their journey. Who's the one person that, you're, that God is inviting you to invest in this year that they would grow in their faith? There's just one name. Who's one person that God's inviting you to encourage in their faith, to, to walk with them, to invest in their spiritual growth this year? And I encourage you to write that down. A few weeks ago, uh, I was... We were talking about Watch Week and remembering last year and how powerful it always is. And my friend Benji uh, shared with me a story about Watch Week last year that I, I, I didn't know had happened, but, um, or I hadn't put the dots together. And so I just wanted Benji to share sort of the testimony from what happened last year with his 3-2-1 prayer. So thank you, Benji. Hello. There we go. Uh, yeah, so I was sharing with Brian a couple weeks ago. We were talking and getting prepared for uh, for this week, and it was probably it actually starts about two or three years ago. There was a guy uh, we had started going to the CrossFit gym together. He was another real big, tall guy and a lot of tattoos, and we enjoyed working out together. So we thought, hey, maybe we'll hit it off and <laughs> get to know each other a little bit. And so uh, he and I met for the first time at Silver Queen, and just kind of was starting to build a friendship together and get to know each other and hear his story a little bit. Uh, he had shared that there was some um, previous church experience and kind of an understanding of Jesus, but uh, definitely something that he'd kind of been burned by and walked away and, and was by no means living a life that was uh, honoring to Jesus or had any reflection that, that he uh, was serving Jesus. Uh, and so for the next couple years, we just got to know each other. We became really good friends and built a really good relationship. And then uh, January rolled around last year when we started looking at this 3 2 one as for those three names, I did not have three. I only had one. Uh, there was one guy that I knew was coming uh, to my mind. And, and a couple months previous to that, he had been dating a girl, and they had gotten engaged. Uh, and there was some, some moral failure stuff that happened in that relationship. And it looked like that that relationship was done. Um, it seemingly, they were going to probably separate and engagement and the marriage and stuff was off. And in that time, my wife and I, the Lord gave just this overwhelming uh, sense of desire and compassion uh, to just walk with them and to be with him and uh, to be community for them as they were struggling through how to process uh, their relationship and what had happened and find healing in that. And, and he and I especially began to go even deeper and deeper in a relationship. And we were meeting uh, periodically and spending time together. And so when January rolled around, uh, the Lord laid on my heart. He's like, that's the one guy this year that I want you to, to, to go after. And so he became someone fervently began to pray for. Uh, and they'd actually kind of begin to, to, to work through the relationship, and, and there's some healing that was taking place, some things going on, but there was still a lot of brokenness. Uh, they had asked me to do their wedding as well, and so even in that, in the unsettlement of that relationship, there was so much in my own spirit that I was just, I was unsettled about. Um, I was unsettled for them. I was unsettled to, to wed them uh, if things kept progressing. And so you can ask my wife, there has been nobody in my life that I've ever fervently prayed for like that just this cutting grass and, and begging God kind of prayers and sitting in bed at night and just rolling out of bed to get on my knees and just begging. Like there was this deep soul cry to where months and months and months I was just praying, God, please.
please lead this guy to come to know you. Please heal their marriage because if they don't surrender to you, then this relationship is never going to heal uh, anyways. Like there's just so much brokenness, God, that only you can restore. And for months and months and months, um, just depth, this, this depth within me that was praying for him. And we, we continued to meet and spend time together. And then it was probably May or so of this past year, uh, he and I were grabbing lunch and we met over at L.R. Burger and, and um, we're sitting there and just kind of continuing to share with him and just encourage him and just to continue to tell him how much I'm praying for him and, and wanting to see him really come to know, come to know Jesus. And I remember he, he sat there and uh, I think he had his sunglasses on, but I could tell he just started weeping. Weeping and weeping. This is a big, tough guy, uh, you know. Again, firefighter, tattoos, and but he's just weeping, crying. And he looks across the table and he goes, "Like, why have you been? Like, why do you care so much to, to be praying so fervent? Like, why have you uh, and, and your wife hung with us through this? I mean, it seems like everybody else just kind of deserted us and walked away from uh, from us as community. Why? Why do you care so much?" And just continue to share the gospel with him in that place. And continue to share uh, just what I believe that the Lord could do in his life. And, and sitting there at L.R. Berger, uh, he says, okay, I'm ready. Like, this is, that's, that's all I need. Like, I'm, I'm tired of, of waiting. And, and we got to pray together. He surrendered to the Lord uh, in May at L.R. Berger. And, and I remember, like, just for, even for me, the joy. I could not have been more excited for anything in my life at that moment as just seeing this fervent months and months and months of prayer uh, to see that the Holy Spirit soften this guy's heart. And so he and his fiance were living together, another cool part of the story. And I said, hey, man, to, 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 to honor the Lord the right way, uh, you guys need to get married. <laughs> I know the ceremony is not for another couple weeks. And so a couple days go by, and him and his fiance showed up, and we, uh, I married him in front of my fireplace. <laughs> and uh, I said, hey, we're going to start to honor the Lord. Uh, you guys can't live together like that. And so they said, okay, we'll get married. And so, um, and then they had their, you know, ceremony later on. But I just want to encourage you guys with that, that even if there's only one name that shows up for that three, uh, just if the Lord places that individual on your heart, fervently, fervently pray for them. Uh, and this year my list said two. So we'll see how, uh, you know, see if we can multiply that this year. But, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, buddy. That's good. Praise the Lord. So that's the invitation uh, to be a people that are willing to, to hear from God and move where he leads us, to be honest with God, to let him speak into uh, whatever's going on in our hearts and our lives, to receive God, from God. And maybe that begins with receiving Jesus Christ as Lord. And uh, if, if and I know we say this most every week, but if, if you're being led in that way, like I, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus, but I don't know what that means, Come find me or Benji, one of our elders or staff. Uh, if you have never been baptized, is that public proclamation of like of that decision point? I've decided to follow Jesus, and I want to make that known. Talk to us. Let us know. If you want to know what it means to be a disciple, to grow in your faith. And that's what we're in for this year. And there's some of you God's leading to move. I think I keep thinking about the foster care ministry that God is leading people that's now opening incredible doors of ministry in our community. It's exactly the same way. The Spirit spoke into somebody's life that was open to receiving from Him. Not this, you know, spiritual hierarchy that's determining what God's going to do, but God moving amongst all of us. And so we want to, as we continue in worship, we, we're, we're going to be taking down the prayer stations, which makes me a little bit sad, um, later today. 
Uh, but so you know, we have sort of a small prayer room, I mean, like a small prayer station kind of thing in that prayer room all year long. I mean, my, my hope, I'd love for people to be praying uh, every day, um, continuing that, that prayer. The Moravians started a prayer service uh, in 1727 that lasted for 100, day, 100 years. So um, who knows what God could do with us in Monroe. But, um, so, but as we worship, this is my invitation for you. Is we have this kind of sweet space for today, uh, is to take advantage of that. Whatever, as, as I was uh, sharing and we were telling stories and Benji shared or talking about what's going on this week, whatever God's bringing to mind or laying on your heart, maybe it is to just come kneel at the cross or come kneel. We have these prayer benches. That's what that's for. It just is that si- symbol of surrender, to be honest with Jesus about some things, to lay, to lay them at the cross. Maybe you feel led to go express artistically in art or maybe just to go intercede, to go into that corner and just to light a candle, to, um, I mean, he put out some more candles, but to, uh, to, to intercede for somebody, to go up into the corners, to pray for your neighbors, to pray for the nations, to pray for the next generation, to write down some names of kids you're praying for. Or maybe God brought to mind your restoration story for the year. It's like Benji, I don't know if you've written that name yet on the gray circle yet, but to go write Uh, your firefighter friend's name or whatever it is from this past year where have you seen god's restoration this year let's claim that and celebrate that so we're going to worship we're going to pray but total flexibility we've got one day this year to do this and so just move around the room as you feel led joseph's going to and the team are they're going to lead us as we continue to sing and worship we have communion set up as we do each week that reminder of the presence of god Represented by that bread, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ his, by his blood, represented by that cup. So we invite you into communion. But we're just going to take a few minutes just to move around the room, let God move us, and see what the Spirit does. Amen? So if you'll stand with me, I'll pray for us. And I invite you, get on your knees, go pray, do whatever God's calling you to do. Lord Jesus, God, we thank you for the story from acts of the way that you moved in that small church there in Antioch. God, we pray that our church here in Monroe would, would, would carry that same DNA. An eclectic group of people. God, would you diversify our us in gifts and backgrounds and stories and ages. Lord, that we would, we would reflect the full body of Christ in this community. We pray for that, God. Lord, we pray that you would Uh, Move us forward each in our own way into the ministry that you've called us to, the good works that you prepared in advance for us to do, that we be a people sensitive to your spirit in worship and prayer and fasting, that we have our roots deep in your love. And so even right now this morning, God, we don't want to just have a service we attend. We want an encounter that transforms. And so, Lord, will you do that in us? Let today, January 8th, 2023, be one of those mile marker points in our journey. In the name of Jesus, amen.